In episode seven of Tech It Up Talk, learn about challenges that teachers face when engaging students in the implementation of synchronous instruction and tips and best practices support student engagement. You ready? Here we go. The Tech It Up Talk podcast aspires to educate, inform, and inspire educators from teachers to school leaders on tips, tools, and resources to support the integration of technology into classroom instruction. You're listening to Tech It Up Talk with Dr. Mack, your host with the most passion for supporting educators from teachers to school leaders with the integration of technology into instruction. In today's show, we are discussing engaging students during synchronous instruction. And so what is synchronous instruction? Well, synchronous instruction is when teaching and learning happen in real time with a group of students. Whereas asynchronous instruction is really designed for students to complete their instruction and their learning activities on their own in a self-directed mode of engagement. And so we've all seen the news and I'm sure you've heard very interesting stories or just maybe you've experienced the array of scenarios, disruptions, and of course, disengagement of our students during virtual instruction. And of course, it's great for our students to have their cameras on so that we can ensure that they are paying attention and that they are engaged with the lesson. However, just because you can see their faces does not necessarily mean that they are actively engaged. And often, their faces are probably what I like to call playing school because they may be present, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're engaged or processing any of the great information that you may be sharing. And so for this episode, I'm hoping that we can have a deeper discussion and reflection of our practices during synchronous instruction to support student engagement. And so I am so excited to have two guests today, my resident guest, Mr. John Amundsen, and we also have Chris Marshall. So welcome guys to the show. If you can just quickly introduce yourselves and tell the audience who you are and kind of a little bit about your background before we begin. Well, I'm happy to be back. Uh, this is John Amundsen. I've been uh, in instructional technology for over eight years, and I'm looking forward to our talk today. Right. I'm Chris Marshall, and uh, I... Uh, uh, happy to be here and uh, look forward to the conversation. I've been doing instructional technology for about 15 years, uh, working for a lot of different districts and different uh, companies as well. All right. Well, the goal for this episode is really to help educate and inform educators on strategies and best practices for engaging students during virtual instruction, or maybe they're doing hybrid instruction. And as we know, COVID-19 has had a major impact in education, and so many educators are having to rapidly adjust their instructional practices, instructional schedules from face-to-face instruction to a virtual environment, a hybrid environment, or multitasking between the two. Your knowledge and your expertise today is really going to help support our audience to inform them, also educational leaders, to enhance their instructional support, their systems, and their functionality during this time period. And so we're going to just roll right into it. And I want to first start with discussing uh, some of the challenges that we see teachers are facing during the implementation of online synchronous instruction. I would say uh, one of the biggest challenges, uh, of course, uh, depends upon how you're doing it. If you're just all online or if you're doing the hybrid model, 
hybrid model is particularly difficult in my opinion because it's such a start and stop mo uh, model where uh, you're you're trying to teach to the kids in the classroom, you're trying to teach to the kids online, um, and you're constantly you you can't give all your attention to either one. So it's kind of like your your attention is split, uh, and uh, and then especially uh, trying to solve um, technology issues uh, and troubleshoot them with students at home is, is extremely difficult, especially in the middle of trying to teach a lesson, and uh, you're constantly being interrupted. And what you find is uh, one of the most important things in teaching is to be able to you, you get you get into a groove or you get a flow going while you're teaching. Right. And you sort of get into it. And when you're got kids at home and, and they're constantly asking questions and they're I can't hear you and things like that, that just it just stymies everything it just makes everything so much harder. Right. I mean, everything else. I mean, it's very difficult when you're not seeing the kids, when you're not getting feedback from them. Uh, when you can't hear them, when they don't feel comfortable talking because they're sitting at home and it's a little different than in the classroom. But most importantly, it's just that divided attention. It just makes it really, really right. good. Yeah, I, th I think you're absolutely right, Chris. Uh, and I think the biggest problem they have is if they've, you've got a lesson, you're trying to do it virtually online. And like you said, you, when you get those little speed bumps, because somebody can't see what you're showing or their technology isn't working and they, they've got to make all these these pit stops to try to, to fix it on the fly, it does get them out of their flow and their groove. And so that kind of does mar the entire lesson. And I guess trying to take care of students live and doing that at the same time, you know, we've had teachers trying that and it's proven to be very, very difficult for the teachers. They're having a hard time with it. Right. And not only are they having a hard time with that, they're still adjusting to teaching in just one mode. And having to balance between the two modes adds an extra layer of challenges for them to multitask their virtual students with their students who may have just joined them in person. So let's move on to discuss some potential best practices that teachers may have done pre-COVID or implemented pre-COVID that could easily transfer to an online environment to support student engagement. Interactivity is the main thing that they need to worry about when they've got the synchronous time and kids are online. You it can't just be uh, sit and get for the kids trying to listen to uh, a teacher giving direct instruction like they would in the classroom where you kind of have a slightly captive audience. Students uh, that are at home have all sorts of things interrupting them, right? And to keep their focus onto that little screen to watch the teacher doing whatever uh, lesson they're trying to do, I think they have to have lots of points of some interactivity with the students where they can interact with the student. Uh, we talk about it in, in schools where you need to do it like every seven minutes or so. I think that's even more so virtually. You have to have an opportunity for the kids to interact, whether it's just a quick check for understanding, raising their hands if they understand, participating in some sort of fashion. You've got to build that up even more in these lessons because it's a total necessity when you go virtual. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, interactivity is, is key. I mean, uh, you need to be constantly asking the kids at home questions so they feel like they're a part of things, so they can't zone out as easy. You, you have to give them longer wait times uh, for them to answer back. If they don't answer back right away, you need to pause and give them a chance to answer. And, and like I said, just make it more interactive. Uh, but it's and also, um, and this just as a best practice anyways, but I think one thing we have to focus on is, even more so is that 
everything needs to be extremely organized. So when you're building everything into your LMS, um, it needs to be extremely organized and you need to have support materials in there so that if the kids don't get it online right then and there, then they have something to fall back on, which is a video of you explaining it or showing it or talking through something uh, so that they can come back and, and see that in an asynchronous way. So although we're doing it synchronously, providing supports asynchronously, I think is key. And then the organization of your your class and its structure online so that they can move through it in a very natural way. And they're not trying to figure out where do I go now to do this thing they told me to do, right? If they have to do that, you've just created, we have enough obstacles already. Organization of the teacher should not be another obstacle. And so they need to be very careful that they're organizing things in a very careful way. I definitely think both of those are very important that were important pre-COVID interactivity and being organized. And so you're right. And so now you're having to really organize it in a different way. And you have to even be a little more creative with some of your organization to help really keep them uh, engaged in the process. And how can you still do those check for understandings every five to uh, seven minutes or so um, when you're online? And like, what does that look like? And if their cameras are off and you can't see them, how do you know that they're even engaged into the lesson. So there's so many different challenges that teachers face and just thinking through like, how can I still engage my kids, whether the camera's on or off uh, and still have them a part of the lesson. With that said, those are definitely some things that were best practices pre-COVID that are still best practices now, even teaching virtually. But what are some practices that were may, may have been good during a face-to-face instruction pre-COVID that maybe teachers should not continue to implement or try to force during virtual instruction? I would say one of the main things is, uh, and and not that it's a bad thing, but teachers lecture, they tend to talk to kids, at kids. And, and, you know, that's one of the things that that we do as teachers. Uh, I think you have to move away from that, that that will does not work online. You have to talk with kids. You have to ask more questions. Uh, Again, it goes back to the interactivity uh, and not allowing them to be passive learners, but, but making them be active learners and be an active part of that process. Right. Yes, I I completely agree. No, I totally agree, too. I think that's something that they have to do. I think one of the things we talked about just a little bit earlier uh, that I think we've probably all seen when teachers first get in this world of dealing with digital education is getting them to actually do things with recordings with their voice and and filming themselves was always kind of a thing that was holding them back. But you you absolutely have to get over that now that you're trying to do these virtual lessons because building those relationships with students that you would do in a classroom that you could do over time, day after day after seeing them, you really have to start incorporating that into your lessons, into the stuff that's asynchronous so they can hear your voice, so they can see your pictures, so they can watch your video and have you encourage them to go through the lesson. I think teachers need to realize that that's almost a must have now so you can continue to build those relationships in an asynchronous environment. Right. I absolutely agree. I was just about to say the same thing. So even if you're teaching virtually, when, when they leave you, uh, you know, still be present and available for them. And I tell teachers this all the time. You want them, you want to be present and available for your students throughout the lesson process, whether you're there with them or not. And leveraging video, uh, screencasting, or if you just want to do audio just to help guide them through the process, definitely help support them in um, being able to uh, process information better um, or ask more questions. And also it helps parents too, because parents are at home just trying to make it through as their, uh, as your co-teacher almost to help support their students. And just having that visual component to help support what's happening 
during instruction definitely uh, goes a long way from when that uh, kid returns back to you for your next synchronous meeting. And so uh, let's now kind of move to some uh, current practices that may be working well for teachers right now. So what are some teachers doing that are teaching virtually that are working well in a way that we can probably share and help other educators who may not know or may, may not have thought of? I, I think incorporating some third party uh, products into their LMSs to add some interactivity. So things they could have done in class that would have worked that still work virtually. So if you're going to do uh, an online check for understanding with some of the products that are out there, quizzes, cahoots, little things, nothing for a major grade, but just to keep kids interactive. Those things still work in, the, in this type of environment when they're working with them synchronously. So I think they should incorporate that, not all the time, but enough times just to keep those kids active like we were talking about earlier. Those, those little things will get the kids more engaged into being into the lesson. Yeah, definitely. And um, also grouping kids in certain ways where uh, you have kids who are on campus uh, being grouped with kids who are at home and uh, being put into groups. So we, we had a science teacher, uh, actually science our science department, where they were doing labs. And what they were doing is they were taking some of the kids at home and they were interspersing them with the kids into groups at, at school. And then they would all be working off of just one laptop so that, you know, the kids were all coming through one laptop. And uh, they could see the lab and what was going on, and they were explaining to them what they were doing and how they were doing it. And then the kids at home were able to then instruct and say, okay, try doing this now. And then they would try it for them and show them what they were doing. And that way, bringing them in and making them a part of what was going on. I thought that was a really neat neat way to try to, to adjust your teaching uh, to the times. That sounds like a great way to collaborate. Mm -hmm. Wow, yes. Wow, that's, yeah, that's amazing. Just to see you bring in someone who's at home learning and maybe cannot be there with the other kids and the other kids are there and still include them in the lesson. I think that's very powerful and really changes the dynamics of how we teach and collaborate. I think that's pretty awesome that that teacher is doing that. And if you're listening out there, that's definitely a great idea. If you're having to teach a hybrid model where you're uh, supporting synchronous and asynchronous at the same time, or you're doing synchronous lessons in person and synchronous with your your students online or virtual and trying to include them in. That's just an awesome idea. Uh, uh, another thing is, you know, the, the students need to feel like they're kind of like they're in the classroom. Right. And when they're uh, looking through the computer, all they see is the teacher very often. And if the kids at school uh, are, are in the session and they might see them, they may not. It just depends. I'll see some of the other kids that are at home, maybe just depends on how the teacher has the settings up. But one thing I see teachers doing and something I think I would do if I was still a classroom teachers, I'd go foot the bill for like 30 bucks and I'd get an extra webcam. And I've, we have teachers who do this at my school and put that webcam up and just face it out to the classroom. And then that way, one of the video feeds that the kids are seeing is the entire class. And when the teacher walks around, they can see where they're at and what they're doing and they can see all the kids and they feel like they're in the classroom. They're not looking at one individual feed or a bunch of individual feeds. They're seeing what's going on in the whole class. And I actually, there, I have one teacher who's done this and not only that, he's put it on a rolling cart so that if he's walking around the classroom, he drags that cart around with him <laughs> so that the kids can see him as he's walking around class and he's talking and teaching Right. And he's just walking around class, dragging this car around. I was keeping that, that camera on him. Right. Because he walks around too much. He likes to be mobile. He likes to walk around the class when he's teaching and he, he doesn't want to be stuck 
you know, to that camera sitting on a computer, sitting, uh, you know, at a desk. So I was like, you know, kudos to you, man. I, I, I think I would copy that. Right. Yeah, so that I'm, sounds I'm like a great pattern. idea. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm hearing a pattern of human interaction really helping to support the synchronous learning. And I know this, we're talking about technology and supporting technology integration, but using technology to support human interaction for learning is, uh, I think, a, a very positive way to help build culture at home for our virtual students and something a little bit different for our uh, students who may be in person right now. But it's definitely something awesome to do. And I love hearing those stories. So I'm hoping that after this podcast, we can hear and more ideas from other educators who are doing some awesome things out there. And hopefully we can inspire someone else to do something and support their classroom and reach out and help make that impact on student outcomes. So that's great. But before we move on to our next segment, and I really wish we had more time in this episode to go into greater details, but I definitely want to quickly share some best practices for the listeners to consider when leveraging technology to increase student engagement. And some of these you guys kind of already share and discuss, but I just want to reemphasize some of them that you highlighted and also add a little bit more before we move on. So like John, you discuss teachers building interactivity and having students engaged throughout the lesson, whether teachers are using tools like quizzes or Kahoot to support the interaction of the synchronous lesson. And so I really want to reemphasize that teachers, it's important for you to plan frequent interactions throughout your synchronous lesson. And you don't always have to use these extensive applications for all of your interactivity. And maybe you can just leverage some of your video conferencing tools to do like a, a thumbs up or like John said, a raised hand. Or maybe your students can use emojis and GIF reactions to support their understanding. But there are also programs that have built-in poll features. Or maybe you can use tools like Instagram or Mentimeter to have students build a word cloud of big ideas that they are capturing. And so the point is, is that there are many different ways to have interactivity happen during your synchronous instruction, whether you're using an elaborate program or you're using something small that you can quickly implement, but you really need to ensure that you are planning for frequent interactions when you're planning your lessons before you implement. Something else you could do is empower your student's voice. And what I mean by that is build in opportunities for them to speak during a lesson, whether they are volunteering to speak or respond to something that you guys are discussing, or maybe you can use a random picker tool, which uh, will select a name randomly out of a list of students. And they have some fun ones out there too. I used to use classtools.net and leverage some of their tools to really support that uh, interactivity in my classroom. but. You can use something like that to um, randomly pick someone and then, you know, the student doesn't have to feel like you're picking on them and the suspense is still there on who's going to get selected or chosen to respond. And so have fun with it. Um, Something else you can do to support student engagement uh, during your synchronous instruction is flipping your synchronous instruction. And so... (laughs) With that, students can join your synchronous meetings more informed, which will really support them in being more active in the lesson or activities that you may be doing synchronously. And you can do this by screencasting short instructional lessons with built-in checkpoints.
points for them to receive instant feedback um, before they attend your session. And so I just really want to reiterate some of the ideas the guys shared and also share a few ideas because some of these we'll probably talk more into and roll over into our next segment. And so we're going to move now to our next segment of the show, which I like to call Get Your Tech Together. And so in this segment of the show, um, here's where you'll share some tools that you think uh, that teachers should have in their virtual toolbox uh, to help them support students and being engaged for synchronous instruction. Well, LMS, I think we can all agree that the LMS is the first and foremost, most important thing because that's, you know, that's where you take the rest of everything everything else, all the resources, and you pull them all together in one centralized location. And having a good LMS is important, you know, uh, and then being able to organize in it and such. But uh, and then uh, I, I'm not counting that one because we all know an LMS is the important thing. So. Well, no, there's some out there that need to hear that because I, I know there's some teachers who put things in different places. So having things in one place is definitely a great idea. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. But uh, I think, uh, you know, John's talking earlier about that interactivity, uh, the different programs. And I think, you know, either like Nearpod or, or Pear Deck or something like that, that allows you to, to take that, that what is usually a one-way communication uh, a tool, like a PowerPoint, uh, and turn it into a two-way communication tool. Uh, and one where they're not just communicating and you're not just getting, you know, some, some formative assessment, but... Uh, now they're so robust with the different tools that are inside of them where they can draw on and do Padlet type things. And uh, it's just they're amazing what you can do. And and not only that, they're so much easier to build now. It used to be building those things could be, you know, it could be kind of hairy, like use a lot of, you know, pretty, pretty steep learning curve on those. But but nowadays they've made it so much easier that I think they're just they're a no brainer. You got to have them. And, you know, Chris, really to just add on to that, tools like Pear Deck and Nearpod are great for supporting synchronous instruction because you are able to purposely place interactive components in the midst of your lesson. And like you said, whether it's drawing or maybe there's multiple choice and open-ended question or maybe a link to a HyperDoc activity or just embedded links to connect to other third-party applications, you know, these tools really allow you to structure and organize components of your lesson to include interactions for your students to engage and really creates a safeguard to create a lesson that can be really impactful because, you know, uh, teachers can turn their PowerPoint type presentations in which sometimes become the sage on the stage type of things, but is definitely a great tool to help support leveraging technology to really support you in designing a more effective lesson to help support engagement of your students quick and easy with access to the tools of that application. All right, John, what do you have? (laughs) That was a good one. It was on my list. I think another one that I've really enjoyed the last few years that I think works great, whether you work in synchronous or asynchronously, is Flipgrid. I like the whole idea of giving kids the ability to answer back in videos. And uh, this they can do it on their own devices. They can do it in the class devices they've got. It's very versatile, and it gives the ability for a teacher to share some of those out when they're in a synchronous grouping with kids, right? So they can share some of those things and it makes it a little more interactive and the kids can see other people's responses and get a little more engaged. Uh, So I think the kids doing video to me is one of the best things that's happened in education the last few years. I think is really one of the top things that is almost a must have now. 
All right. Yeah. It, ch so it, ch it changes the way just because it's just not text anymore, right? It's not text. It's not a paper. It's not a file. You're giving kids an output. And for this generation of kids, it's something they totally relate with, right? Making videos. So I think it works well. So along those lines of the video is in, in Schoology, which is what we tend to use. Um, and this was going on even before all this started happening, but uh, it's even more necessary now. But for orchestra, band, choir, uh, what our teachers do is they can create an assignment in Schoology. And one of the options, instead of just turning in like a document or something like that, is to record video. And so they say, you know, I need you to, to you know, play this piece of music, or I want to hear a C flat or whatever, right? And then right. the kids they can create that assignment. The kids can go in and hit the video button and then record themselves playing whatever it is they're playing. And then the teacher can come back, watch it, listen to it, and then actually put a grade on it. Uh, and that'll go drop right into the grade book. Wow, Chris, you read my brain really well. <laughs> I think I, I preach that over and over. I always uh, talk about um, and tell teachers, and I probably say that this rich text editor is my best friend and how you can leverage um, the different features on there, not to just um, have text responses, but to have audio image and, of course, video where you can mm -hmm. record in seconds from your device and not necessarily have to get one way type of communication from your students. And so leveraging those tools for um, students showing their performance or showing uh, what they've processed, learned and gained from their lesson is great. And also teachers can use it to give feedback and so uh, even respond back to them and still get that human interaction that we're talking about uh, through the technology to really help support them. Given that personal touch and leveraging the video feature definitely lets you know whether a kid actually was able to uh, understand um, something when they're trying to explain it. And if you're trying to explain and give them feedback, they can t uh, better receive the feedback on what they need to work on or just to improve their um, final products. So that is an awesome idea. It's time for the Tech Smackdown. In this segment of the show, I want to share with you some tips for use and best practices. And I also want to know which tip you thought was the best. And of course, if you have any tips or best practices to share, please feel free to connect with me on my social media at Dr. J.E. McDonald or at Tech It Up Talk. And so in the Tech Smackdown, John and Chris, you guys are going to battle each other tip for tip on uh, what you think are best practices for supporting synchronous instruction. And so it could be a tool or it could just be a general practice together. And I want you to share your top three tips. And we're going to let John, unless you guys want to do the paper, rock, scissors. No, no, that's right. You can go ahead. <laughs> and so John, we'll let you lead us in to our first tip. And then Chris, you can come back and share what's the best practice for teachers to know. And then we can go back until we get to our third one. Uh, so, okay. So I'll start off. Uh, I think planning and I'm going to, you know, go through this a little bit more is the most important thing you can do, but the time management plan, I think you really need to understand that we're limited on time and with the uh, synchronous time that you have with the student. And Chris talked about it earlier when we were talking that so many things can go wrong. So if you think you have 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, you really shouldn't plan on your lesson going that long. You need to, to scale it down a bit for all those mishaps that are going to happen or else you're not going to get to the end of what could be a great lesson, right? So if you've got uh, 45 minutes, make it 30 if, if with, no, with no problems. So that way when the problems come up, you can still take care of them and get to the great, the meat, the, the, the little bangs part of your lesson so the kids can really enjoy it. 
said, because as we were talking earlier, people get frustrated. The lesson doesn't go the way it's going to go. And they really don't get the knowledge that you really want them to walk away with. So I think just playing on having extra time built in there for that lesson is probably the best thing you can do. So, so that was my first one. Right. So, yeah, so, I got it. Yeah, slow your pacing. Don't think you're going to keep your scope and sequence. Uh, yeah, no, that was that was my first one. Uh, so I'll say my second one then is, uh, you know, it, it's really don't be afraid to fail. Uh, it's just it's going to happen. And uh, teachers are so used to trying to be perfect and always look like they know exactly what they're doing in front of the class. Uh, they they are going to have to let go of that because right. that that's not going to happen. And uh, they, they need to be okay with failing. They need to be okay with perhaps a whole lesson being scrapped because things just aren't working right. And, and really, it's more of a stress management technique than anything else. Because And I'm seeing it. I'm seeing teachers locking up. Uh, they're just completely locking up and, and struggling. And we've had teachers just quit because they're like, I can't do this. And it's like, man, just it's okay. It's okay. Like, it's not going to go the same. It's not going to be perfect. I know you were the perfect teacher before. You know, you had things you'd like to do them a certain way. It's not like that anymore. And things are going to fail and it's going to be okay. And hopefully they have an administration that understands that and uh, isn't putting too much pressure on them. Uh, but I think they, they, everybody just needs to, to kick back, slow their roll a little bit and, uh, and breathe, I think. So, so that's my tip, breathe. Yeah. Breathe. That's a good one. <laughs> Hey, they, they have a great extension for that called Current, by the way. <laughs> I talked about in my last episode. Current is a, a good extension you can use for help those breathing moments because we need to breathe sometimes as yeah. teachers. So I recommend installing Current if you need those friendly reminders. <laughs> Jocelyn is jumping in our segment here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let's see. My next one. Uh, I'm trying to think. I kind of want to go with a category. So Chris, I'm going to steal a little bit of a category here. Okay. <laughs> I think screencasting is super important. And uh, you were talking about making sure that the teachers can record themselves and have that available if students miss the live uh, interaction that they're having with the class if they can watch it later. So getting comfortable with any kind of screencasting tool, whatever that may be, I'm just going to name a couple of screencast-o-matic, screencastify, loom, if, if you've got others, that's fine too. But in, I mentioned this earlier, get comfortable videotaping yourself, hearing your own voice, doing that stuff, because that's the voice the kids have to listen to all year. And that's the face they have to look at all year. So it's okay. Uh, so I'll, I'll actually play off of that and say, because uh, I totally agree with it. But, uh, um, and I'm a big Screencast-O-Matic fan. You can get it for like a buck a month if you pay for it three years ahead of time. So, um so, but I'm going to say uh, one of my favorite tools, uh, which totally supports what you're saying is Edpuzzle. I think Edpuzzle is so simple to use. Um, you know, I always think in terms of a tool, its value has to do with the power that it can give you in the classroom versus the learning curve, how steep it is. And if it's a, if it's a nice shallow learning curve, but it has a really high power in the classroom, that's a perfect tool. Requires not a lot to learn, but can do a lot for you in your classroom. And then you, you incorporate something like Screencast-O-Matic or something like that. I mean, of course, you can go to YouTube, pull in videos, great videos that other people have made. Uh, but you can also record your own videos and pop them in there as well. And the beautiful thing about Edpuzzle is because especially in this time right now is uh, we, we want formative assessment 
and we need accountability because we got these kids at home and we don't, I can put a video out there, but I don't know if they're watching it. Right. right? But Ed Puzzle allows me to throw that video out there. Right. Give them a, a either to, for actual work or just as a support mechanism after the fact. Right. And uh, one of the things I can do is I can put those questions in there so I can get that formative assessment assessment right off the top. And then it creates accountability because I can take a grade on it and the kids know oh, I better watch this and do okay on it because they're going to take a grade. And the beautiful thing is it grades itself. Right. Yes. And then, uh, you know, at least in Schoology, it then pops that grade right into the, my grade book. I don't even have to copy it over. So that's, that's the teacher's best friend right there. Yeah. <laughs> Saving time. Well, you got me, Chris, because that was my next one. And ah. so, but uh, so I'm going to play off of that and say uh-huh. dealing, dealing with your LMS and having the idea of trying to put everything in one package and talking about all these third party tools, being able to learn how to embed and being comfortable with embedding tools, because some tools look amazing inside of your LMS. Edpuzzle happens to be one of those. There's quite a few in there. If you're just talking about incorporating videos that you want to embed, you can really jazz up your lessons. You can leave everything in that that one central LMS point where they can go and focus on it. They don't get lost out there in the internet once you start giving them links to things. Uh, so Edpuzzle is one of those that just looks amazing when you embed it inside. There's lots of tools that, that do that. And I think if you have tools like that and you can embed them, that actually just makes it that much better. Uh, there are some tools that don't look that great in there. So you, you definitely need to try it and see. I'm not going to mention any, but if it doesn't work inside the LMS, that's okay. You link them out. If it, you still get great results with it, use it. Uh, but I think embedding is one of the best things you can learn to use it, do as a teacher, uh, just like screencasting and learning how to use an LMS and stuff like that. It's, it's one of those tools that if you learn to use it, you're just going to get huge benefit from it. Yeah. No, it's all, it streamlines everything. It, it makes it, puts it all in one place. And it, it aesthetically, it just creates a whole different feel when you start embedding everything into one place. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for sharing. So I'm going to leave it up to our audience to let me know who they thought gave the best tips. I'm hoping that <laughs> all right, I see you guys pointing to yourselves. And so uh, I want to thank you for your time today. And I think uh, we gave some great information. And I'm hoping that we were able to help someone that's going to be listening to this podcast um, with their practices in education right now during COVID and trying to just survive different tasks that are coming our way and being okay with adapting to new things. And if it doesn't feel like the best right then and that it's okay to be uncomfortable. And my favorite line is you got to get uncomfortable to get comfortable. And so those, that's part of your productive struggle. Just know that it's normal and it's not just you and everyone else is going through that same experience and trying to support our students today. So uh, thank you guys for joining us. And I hope that I can have you back again soon. It was definitely great having John and Chris join the show and share with us some awesome tips, advice, and best practices. But before we end the show, I also want to leave you with some more tips that can support you in increasing student engagement during your synchronous instruction. And so starting with tip number one, backwards plan your instruction and allow time for technology challenges or interruptions. Which brings me to my next tip, which is plan for technology failure. We all know that technology can sometimes be unpredictable. Okay, so my next tip is 
to back up your synchronous instruction with an asynchronous lesson. And so Chris talked about this a little bit earlier in the show, but just think when you're backing up your synchronous instruction with an asynchronous lesson, uh, your students can return back for that next synchronous meeting. They'll be able to engage at a higher level and you know it helps support technology issues that may happen. And so if you're having trouble with technology, you still have an asynchronous plan that can help back it up. And it's also a great way to reinforce your synchronous lesson for your students who may need additional support, guidance, and resources, or just give them time for more practice. My next tip, which I mentioned earlier, which is to empower your students' voice. And so there are different ways you can do this just by having them be a part of the discussion, or of course you can leverage technology like John shared with Flipgrid and other tools um, that can really capture their voice. Um, and it'll have them be a part of the lesson or then maybe just them working in groups and, and presenting, uh, you know, and doing recording. So definitely empower your student voice. Another option you can do to support the engagement is building student choice into your lessons. So give your students options. Everyone doesn't have to do everything the same way. So let them choose and, you know, have those options and get in the habit of having uh, an array of different things that they can do to still support their learning. And of course, as I stated earlier, flip your synchronous instruction with screencasting and checks for understanding that can provide students with instant feedback before attending class. And so this tip is very uh, cool because it can really maximize your time with your students. So just imagine them coming ready to class already and you can really go deep and dive deeper with the activities that you can do and help support any misunderstandings. And um, another tip is you can repurpose the use of technology tools. And, you know, some of you guys are accustomed to using PowerPoint and Google Slides for presentations, and they're great presentation tools, but guess what? You can also use them for so much more. So during your synchronous instruction, you can turn those presentation tools into an interactive space and use them as whiteboards, manipulatives, a brainstorming session, and so many other things you can do. So repurpose the use of tools you already have access to. And my last tip that I wanna leave you with is that, as I stated before, plan for frequent student interactions throughout your synchronous lesson. And so your students should ideally be doing something every five to seven minutes, whether it's a small impact or you're using some extensive uh, program to support uh, checking for understanding, but if you're lecturing the majority of your session, then you are really creating missed opportunities for active engagement from your students. Thank you for listening to the Tech It Up Talk podcast with Dr. Mack, your host with the most passion for supporting educators on using and implementing technology. Be sure to connect with me on the Tech It Up Talk Facebook page and Twitter and Instagram at Tech It Up Talk or at Dr. J.E. McDonald. Now, I know teching may not always be easy, but it sure is fun.